Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Thank you so much for joining us today at Good Fight Ministries as we're going to be doing a live Q&A show with you guys and we are excited and right now before I even introduce Pastor Joe, I want to let you know you can put some questions down there on YouTube. I already saw in the pre-show before the show even started, we have a few questions that we can get to, but the first thing we're going to be looking at and in this episode is actually a number of questions that came to us through our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash goodfight. A number of people have come alongside to support Good Fight Ministries through Patreon, and they've asked a lot of questions over the last few months. So we said, hey, let's try to get through them. We're going to try to get through as many as possible. And one of the cool things is we've been talking a lot about end times. So guess what? A lot of the questions end up being about end times. So that's going to be awesome. So with me today, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? I'm blessed, bro, and I'm looking forward to diving into the Word and getting these questions and being with our brothers and sisters in the Lord and, you know, searching out His truth. There's this really cool scripture that talks about in the last days in Daniel uh, that people will be going to and fro, you know, and a lot of times we interpret that as, you know, air travel and all that stuff, but that phrase to and fro is used elsewhere in scripture as those are searching out God's truth in his word. So they're kind of fulfilling prophecy by searching the scriptures in these days. <laughs> kind of cool. Hey, man. No, I, I think that's a great insight. And, you know, one of the things we're just like, so excited to have so many people with us. I see you guys down on the YouTube channel and some of the questions I will ask Joe and then he's going to be answering them and hopefully I'll get some answers in and help, help out as well. But also I'm going to be going through a lot of the comments here. So don't forget to send a comment if you're just saying hi. Just say hi to. We have a lot of great brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you don't have a question, and maybe you're just wanting to be blessed by this. We want to thank you guys so much. So make sure you have shared this as well, if you can, with others, because we have some really, really good questions, some theological questions. We also have questions, just personal, devotional life questions, and we have questions that we're going to be dealing with that just concern, I guess, not only theological, scriptural, a lot of different things, and I, and I really like um, you guys will see, I like the variety of questions that we have for this show, and hopefully you guys will provide us with more. But I guess just as you see on the title page here, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about this idea of the third temple. And what's interesting, Joe, is you just recently did a sermon. Not only did you do a sermon, but we did an entire show specifically where you went through the entire book of Revelation in one hour. And then we talked a lot about Israel, the conflict, what does prophecy say? Obviously, what does scripture say concerning Israel and the conflict that's going on? But one of the things you brought out when you were talking about it was the temple of God and also this idea that we see in 2 Thessalonians. So I'm going to lead off because we have a question from one of our Patreon subscribers. Sam Renfro was asking specifically, when it comes to this third temple, Will there be a literal third temple? Because there's a lot of people that say, well, we're the temple of God. In fact, you know what? I, I'll, I'll throw this one out there already. 
In fact, somebody already said when we posted we were going to be talking about this on the show, somebody said, well, we're the temple of God, and what's happening is the vaccination is going on, and that vaccination is the abomination of desolation that is now putting the Antichrist into the temple of God. So that seems a little far-fetched, but nonetheless, it's something that we need to answer. So I have to ask you, is there a literal third temple, or is it simply, we're the temple of God here uh, in 2 Thessalonians? No, it's a great question. And, and you know, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, states, you know, concerning the coming of the Antichrist, that he'll sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Uh, it's called the man of lawlessness there. So it's a man. It's not a uh, serum or a vaccination. Uh, and the temple he's speaking of there, uh, you've got to put Scripture with Scripture. Scripture is its own, we always say this, Scripture is its own best interpreter. Uh, so the Scriptures are clear. You put it together. It's like, what is he talking about there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? That, you know, that he talks about the rapture, and he says that, that day when Christ raptures us will not take place until uh, the fallen away, the apostasia takes place first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who poses himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped as God. So he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's definitely not sitting in believers because uh, we can't be possessed by the Antichrist who's possessed by Satan. Uh, but he is sitting in the temple of God in a in the biblical context. He's dealing with a rebuilt temple. I can We can prove that very clearly from Scripture. And if you have a different view, just at least say, hey, I need to hold out, just kind of like listen to this viewpoint because I think it's very clear. Uh, now, some would say, well, wait a minute, man. Right now, the temple is not even rebuilt. And how can you sit in the temple of God? Well, there'll be a re rebuilding of the temple. And some would say, well, how could the temple be rebuilt because it's so hostile there on the Temple Mount and so forth and, you know, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and, and, and the Dome of the Rock and so forth. And, well, there's going to be a peace treaty that's made according to Daniel chapter 9 and a covenant that's made by the Antichrist with the many, which used that word usually refers to the nations, uh, that allows this to take place. And by the way, what seems impossible for us now, uh, well, all things are possible with God, especially regarding the rebuilding of the temple, because there was a time they wanted to rebuild the temple before. Azubuel was the civil leader, and then they also had Joshua, the high priest, and it looked like it was impossible because of all, all the satanic hostility against him, just like today. And the Lord said to him, you know, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He said he's going to use these two candlesticks here. These guys were like the two witnesses and used them. And he created a climate whereby the temple was able to be rebuilt. Well, that's revisited again in Revelation chapter 11 when you have the two witnesses and the measurements of the temple and so forth and leaving out the outer courts because it's been given to the Gentiles who are trampled underfoot. So you have a parallel, you have a, a typology there uh, that shows you that the conditions will be such where it appears that the temple will be rebuilt under, or at least before the two witnesses are here. But let's get to just some direct scripture on this. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, you know, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, you know, flee. Let those who in Judea flee to the mountains. Was Judea literal? Yeah. Were the people that were going to be there literal? Yeah. Those fleeing, will that be literal? Yes. So why would the temple not be literal? So when we go to Matthew chapter 24, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So this temple that Jesus said is coming up, and it's definitely future. And by the way, let me just say this. Sometimes people conflate the temple being spoken of here with being what was destroyed when Jesus spoke in the same discourse about how not one stone would be laying on the, another stone when the temple was destroyed. Try to follow this very carefully because a lot of people, preterists, for instance, they'll conflate 
the abomination of desolation, even though there was no abomination of desolation in Jesus' day, uh, after he was uh, uh, crucified before, you know, before 70 AD, there's no witness of them setting up standards like uh, you know, Vespian or Titus or anyone uh, abominating the temple by glory. No, they destroyed the temple. And there's two different things being spoken of here. So we know the temple's rebuilt and that Jesus prophesied that the literal temple would be rebuilt because if you follow his teaching in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and you put it together and you see the outline that he gave us, you see that these are two different events, the circling circling of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and then the abomination of desolation, the rebuilt temple later on. How do we know this? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all start basically the same way. All three of them record Jesus started first with the birth pains, even though there was a three-pronged question. The three-pronged question was, they're checking out, when you go to Mark 13, they're checking out, hey, Jesus, check out the temple, how beautiful these, you know, they're talking about the votive gifts and so forth. And Jesus said to them, you know, he wanted to let warn them. He said, I tell you, he said, there's not one stone that's going to be standing on another. And they asked him, when will these things be? Number one. And what will be the sign of your coming? Number two. And the end of the age. So you got three questions there. When will these things be? The destruction of the temple. Uh, you know, what will be the sign of your coming? And then number three, the end of the age. If you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all start with, you know, false Christ, false prophets, wars, and rumors of wars. Uh, Luke shows that Jesus also said plagues and so, or, you know, and so forth. They mentioned famines and uh, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom and so forth. And they basically say the same things, but, you know, you might miss a couple things here and there. They're different witnesses giving the same witness to Jesus' teaching. And then they talk about, you know, Matthew and Mark go on to talk about how these birth pains will lead up into the ultimate Antichrist, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, all future, right? Uh, and, and, and so forth. But guess what? Luke, as he goes into the birth pains that lead up to the abomination of desolation, he says something very interesting in Luke chapter 21, verse 12. He says five words, before all these things, you know, but before all these things. Actually, in Greek, it's just four words, and we translate it, but before this, before, but before, uh, before all this. So you got four words in the Greek. Before all this, before all what? Before all the birth pains that Mark and Matthew go on to talk about and, and lead into the coming of the abomination, des- desolation, and the Antichrist. Before that stuff even starts, Luke says, that Jesus said, but before this. And then he goes on to describe what's going to happen to them, the believers, and how they're going to be persecuted in the synagogues, the stuff that happened in the book of Acts. By the way, Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. So I believe that's why the Holy Spirit had chosen Luke to do this. So it gives him a history of what's going to take place very soon after, you know, uh, after Jesus gives this discourse, and he talks about how they'll circle Jerusalem and let those who are in Judea then they're supposed to flee the mountains too when they see it encircled. There's no mention of an abomination and desolation. And that didn't happen in 70 AD. And then, so, so how do we understand this? If you put the outline together, Jesus first started with the birth pains that would lead to the abomination and desolation, the rebuilding of the temple. Because before that, he said, but this will take place first. What? The stuff that leads up to Jerusalem being encircled by the Roman armies, which entailed also the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So Jesus is clearly teaching him when you look at the outline, and go to Luke 21, 12. A lot of people just miss that, and they think Jesus is talking about the same events. They get all confused. But when you look at tw- Luke 21, 12, that's the key to understanding the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' own outline. And we understand that there's a temple. It's going to be utterly destroyed. Uh, you look at it today, you see the remnants of the, you know, the temple mount now and uh, the stones that have been thrown down and so forth. But then guess what? There would be a new temple rebuilt, Jesus indicated, because he said there would be the abomination of desolation. Uh, that's the Antichrist, you know, setting up his image in the temple to be worshipped. 
How do we know this? And how can we be sure it's a literal temple? Well, check this out. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, as spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So let's go back and see what Daniel was talking about. Was he talking about the people of God being possessed by Satan in the end? No, let's go back to the book of Daniel. And we see chapter 8. Listen to this. Uh, it even magnified itself, this is speaking of the Antichrist in verse 11 of Daniel chapter 8, uh, with the commander of the host. And it removed the regular sacrifice. Okay, the sacrifice, that's a, a sacrifice that would take place. It was two, one big sacrifice two times a day. Uh, the Tamid sacrifice of the Lamb it was a constant reminder and picture and type of the Messiah. In fact, next year when uh, Passover comes around that area, well, I'll do a message on the Tamid being a, a beautiful picture and typology of Jesus, Lord willing. So it'll be removed. He'll remove the regular sacrifice from him. And the, and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. Now, nobody's going to read that and think he's talking about anything but the temple, right? Well, then you go to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, where we have the 70 weeks prophecy. And I'll just get right to verse 27. And it says, and he, and it's speaking of the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's a seven-year pack, right? But in the middle of the week, the middle of the seven years and the three and a half year mark, 42 month mark, 1260 day mark. He will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. There it is. Parallels chapter chapter eight that we just read is going to put a stop to the tummy, the, the, the regular sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations, okay, the wing would be the extremity of the temple, will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Go to chapter 12. Uh, Daniel's talking about the end of days again. Uh, verse 11, from that time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, that's the temple sacrifice in the literal temporal, not talking about us, the church, talking about, the you know, the, back then he's talking about what's going to happen to the temple. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there'll be 1,290 days, okay? Now this is amazing because we have all these different scriptures, when Jesus is referring to the abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place, the Jews all understood that, and the believers, and the, they understood that. He's talking about, uh, you know, the, the literal temple. That's what Daniel was talking about. He talks, he literally says the sanctuary is going to be destroyed, and the Tamid sacrifice is going to be stopped, and the, the, the grain offer is going to be stopped. So I, I don't think it, you can get around, honestly. I really don't think you can get around uh, the scripture that make it very clear that he's talking about a literal temple that we re will be rebuilt. And by the way, we have the Temple Institute right now in Israel where they've basically made almost every one of the temple implements and they're just chomping a bit waiting to get this thing going. And I believe prophecy will be fulfilled and there'll be a third temple and the Antichrist will sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And there's a far heavier spiritual thing going on because you have the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa Mosque up there and the Antichrist, it says, he denies the Father and the Son. On the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Arabic, it says there's... Allah, you know, and he's not a father, basically tells us, because it says he has no son. And it denies the Jesus, denies father, spirit of Antichrist, just waiting for that time to come. Jesus said, I've come in my father's name. If another one comes in his own name, and he says, I come in my father's name, you receive me not. But if another one comes in his own name, his own name, him you will receive. I'm speaking of the coming Antichrist. So it's really important that we understand these prophecies so we're not, not seeing what the Lord prophesied would go on and what took place because it's by looking at these things and understanding them that we can be right with the Lord and we can be prepared for his coming and we can understand what's going on.
Yeah, I think one of the great things, you know, obviously that you pointed out a number of times, and, and this is something that has come up uh, specifically because of the vaccine. And, and on our thread, we have a ton of people. Um, I didn't realize how many people really do believe the vaccine specifically is the mark of the beast. Now, we would, we've done an entire episode on that, so I don't <coughs> want to try to rehash that. Um, but the fact is, is that when we see, obviously, in Revelation chapter 13, we see quite clearly that this isn't a secretive mark of the beast. Nobody takes the nobody takes the mark of the beast by accident. These are the, this is involved in worship. So when you are saying that this vaccine specifically is the abomination of desolation, and that when you take the mark of the beast, you're putting the antichrist in you, and the believers of the temple of God putting the antichrist in them, it doesn't make any sense to scripture. And and it's really dangerous for people to be teaching that sort of thing. Also Even teaches, if I'm not a fan of the vaccine. Right. It also <laughs> teaches, you know, and I'm hoping not to get the vaccine. I mean, but I don't believe it's, it says in scripture I can't take the vaccine. I just don't want to take it. You know, I've had COVID. I don't want I don't want to take the vaccine. Right. But if I it stops me from being able to be a witness in Israel and other places where I feel the Lord might guide me, I'm gonna have to rethink and pray about it. But right now, you know, I don't need to. So also let me just say this. Yeah. You get a grievous sore on your right hand for taking the mark of the beast on your right hand. Did, is that where they vaccinate people? They shoot in the right hand? I don't think so. And it says a holy angel, an angel of God will fly in the mid-heavens warning people not to take the mark of the beast before it comes out. I missed that angel then. Did somebody else see that angel fly in the mid-heavens? Missed the beast too. Yeah, and yeah <laughs> exactly, because it says it's the number of his name or the name of the beast, Revelation 13, verses 16 to 18. That doesn't fit either. <clears throat> With all due respect to the person who, who says that, you know, they may have some great views in certain areas, but that one I believe is off. Uh, let me give you one more scripture yeah. on the temple. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31 of the Antichrist says, For from him will arise uh, will arise and desecrate the sanctuary. He'll desecrate the sanctuary. That's the temple. And the, he'll desecrate the sanctuary fortress and do away with the regular sacrifice. That's the Hebrew word tamid again. And they will set up the abomination of desolation. So I, I, it's all over the book of Daniel that there will be a literal temple where the Antichrist will set up the abomination of desolation. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 13 that the, the false prophet tells the people to make an image of the beast and so forth. And so it's a slam dunk. It's a literal temple that will be rebuilt. Yeah, I think that's really, really important for us to understand. And I think it is really, um, you know, people come up with these theories and, and they can be a lot more dangerous <coughs> even than others. So we need to make sure of that. And we could literally be condemning our brothers and sisters in Christ um, who have gone and, and taken the vaccine. And once again, even myself, I've, I'm, I have not and I will not be taking the vaccine uh, I did get COVID, but you know what? I'm not telling people that took the vaccine that they're taking the mark of the beast because I think that unequivocally, I can tell you it's not. But we would also not be someone to look at what's going on in the scenario in the world, see all the things that are taking place, see how conditioned people are to making sure that they're taking this vaccine that everyone's telling you to take. And you have all the celebrities making sure that you're taking it, convincing you to take it, offering money to take vaccines and so forth. And then condemning those who do not, from the world's point of view, condemning anyone who does not, almost like they're part of the plague. And don't think that there's some conditioning going on. I think that every, almost every act that we make is a spiritual act. So when people are going out and they're doing these things, we recognize the conditioning that is probably taking place through all of this, but without going too far as to say, this is the mark of the beast because it doesn't fit all of the hallmarks that we see quite clearly from the scriptures. Real quick on that, there's a okay. couple things we've been saying for quite a while now about the vaccine and about COVID and so forth. Uh, when I've been asked by different people, I've been saying for some time, I, I would be really surprised if it actually came from a bat from the wet market, you know? Uh, 
I believe it did come out. Of, I don't have clear evidence, but I believe it came out of uh, the Wuhan lab there, and we've been. And I believe that. And now they're coming out saying it looks like it may have done that. Even the liberals are starting to, with egg on their face, who are saying no, it came from a bat. They've got a bunch of doctors to sign. Yeah, it came from a bat at the wet market. They couldn't know that. But there's, you know, another thing we were saying as well is that once you have had the uh, the, the COVID sickness, uh, you build up immunities. Whether you have, you know, uh, uh, antibodies that show, often you won't have antibodies, but you still have the helper T cells, the helper B cells, and so forth uh, that go to war for you. And since SARS-2 was created by a related coronavirus, uh, those guys have immunity for the last 17 years. And so most, I mean, the studies that have been done so far, you only have so much time to deal with. But so far, it's following that type of pathology where they're able to see, hey, yeah, it looks like uh, uh, this thing's going to last for years if you already had it. Now, they do wonder if you've only had a small do- a small case of it that have you built up enough immunity. There's questions on that. But now they're even saying it looks like even if you've had a, a small version of it that you could have very strong immunities. But it doesn't fit the narrative that the media and the left has been pushing so radically. So uh, we need to stick to the Word of God, and we need to also be wise, and we need to also look at both sides of every issue from the medical side, because uh, sometimes conservatives will just jump on the issue that's most anti-government when sometimes the government actually finds like the squirrel that that nut sometimes and not always, though. We need to be discerning. Yeah, amen. I think discernment is key. And uh, Sam, hopefully you like having your answer questioned uh, for 20 minutes. But nonetheless... And your uh, question answered, too. And Yeah, I guess so. That makes a little more <laughs> sense. Uh, no, but, but thank you guys also for the questions, even those we disagree with, you know, as long as you're not continuing to push stuff as we answer. But but great job. I think it's awesome uh, to have so many of you guys on here. Um, another brother uh, asked, and, and once again, we're kind of sticking to the theme here for the first couple questions. Another brother said that he was discussing specifically um, when it comes to pre and post-trib in terms of the rapture. And he had someone explain to him that when you teach a post-trib rapture and not a pre-trib rapture, you are actually committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Remind you, that is the unforgivable sin. So now he is teaching, not only is the pre-trib rapture a salvific issue, one that was salvific for the first 1830 years or so, never taught in the church, but nonetheless, he's saying it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So so where, where, do we, where do we fix this? This is the problem. That sounds like a person that doesn't have any arguments because there's no clear scriptures that teach a pre-trib rapture. But there's many, many, many scriptures all over the scripture that teach that Christ is coming at the end of the age, at the end of the tribulation period. And since he can't find scripture, he's trying to badger people or trying to bully people into holding his view, saying, if you don't have this view that I have, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I mean... I hear someone say something like that. I don't just walk. I run to the next exit. I'm like, "Woo, you're out there, man. You need you need to get right with Jesus. You need to get your yeah, head. That's like a post-tribber saying, if you don't have the post-trib view, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Or a mid-tribber. If you don't have the mid-trib view, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Or a pre-rather saying, if you don't have the pre-wrath view, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's utterly ridiculous you know, on its face. And and by the way, I mean, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? You know, Jesus made it clear in Mark chapter 3. Uh, verse 28, 29, he said, All manner of sins, verily, verily, I say unto you, all manner of sins shall be all manner of sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and blasphemies with whatsoever they shall blaspheme. Jesus added that in uh Matthew chapter 12, around verse 32 or so, uh, and said, even those who speak against the Son, and uh, they'll be forgiven. But he goes on to say in verse 29, but he that blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has hath never forgiveness. That's how I have that memorized in King James, hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. But then he goes on, on in verse 30 to tell us exactly what it is. It says, because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. So we're told what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It was 
calling the very witness of Jesus and who he was, who was agent to bring conversion to them and draw them to him and the Father. Uh, and they're blaspheming him and his work. How can they come to the Father then? How can they come to Jesus when they're blaspheming the very gentle, beautiful agent who's giving testimony of who Jesus is? And if and how are they doing it? They're saying that the Holy Spirit is the devil. Uh, chapter 12 of Matthew, they're saying he is Beelzebub. He does this by the power of Beelzebub. And he's possessed by a, a demon. So they call him the Holy Spirit a demon. Uh, uh, had nothing to do with your rapture view, where your rapture cloud is, or where you understand it to be in re- relation to the, the tribulation period. Uh, so uh, that's a, um, I'm sorry you actually were even exposed, you were exposed to that kind of weird teaching. Uh, but I pray, hope and pray that the, the guy who's saying that, because uh, he's, st- teachers received a stricter judgment, James 3 1. Let not many of you seek to be teachers, for you incur a stricter judgment. Uh, so we have to be very careful. We're teaching the word that we don't mislead anybody in any way. And it's just unfortunate. It reminds me of uh, in volume one of the Journal of Discourse, which is 20 some volumes long in, in, uh, in Mormonism, which I own in my house. I bought years when I was a newer Christian. And I remember reading it around 50, 51 of volume one, where Brigham Young is talking about how this Jesus was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. Totally contradicting Matthew chapter three. He says, Brigham Young, you know, school named after him in, in Mormonville in Utah, that he was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. And then he warns the people listening. Because some of those guys were somewhat biblically literate, not enough to escape Mormonism, obviously, but he knows they're going to have a hard time. Wait, it says he was begotten by the Holy Ghost. So he warns them, whether you accept this doctrine or not will prove or disprove your damnation. In other words, you're damned if you don't agree with me. Don't search the scriptures. But And that sounds like what this guy's doing. If you don't agree with my view, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He's trying to scare people into accepting a view that's not scriptural. And I, I hope and pray the Lord protects people from his teaching then and it causes him to repent and seek the Lord. Yeah, amen. That's that's really some dangerous stuff. And like you said, that accus- kind of accusation that is happening, I mean, that sort of thing is just absolutely ridiculous to make that accusation. And I do think in all honesty that a lot of that comes specifically just from somebody, as you said, not having the, the true argumentation, not having an ability to actually present their case. So then they just put out hey, you better, this is dangerous, you better not, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I think it's not only disingenuous, it's dishonest and it's ugly, and it's not becoming of a believer. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at PO Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.